Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses uh, 21 through 24 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. We're just working our way through uh, Paul's letter. He uh, says in verse 21, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior. Now the church submits to Christ. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Uh, Father, I pray that you would minister to every one of us as we look at your word this morning. Father, that you would apply it to our hearts, that we would all have our eyes on Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm not taking control here, so you're on, Brandon. <laughs> okay. Well, some of you might think I'm pretty brave on Mother's Day to preach, wives submit to your husbands. <laughs> and if you're thinking that, you're probably a little, that's a, that's a little true. Uh, but ultimately, uh, in all honesty, uh, there's a bigger fear I would have, and that would be as, we're, as we just go through a book of the Bible, I would be more afraid to be afraid to preach God's word as God providentially gives it to us. And after studying this text the last couple weeks, I really believe there is great encouragement and, and joy to be found uh, in these words. And part of that was, as I've been reading Knowing God by Packer, uh, he talks about how knowing someone or something is different. Uh, for example, he, he said to know a rock is not that complex. You can kind of look at it you can study it, you can uh, uh, kind of figure out its size, what it feels like, you can imagine how it might have been made, and then you kind of come to your limits on its complexity, and you just kind of know it for what it is. And Packer said, but once you get to a living thing, like let's say a horse, someone might say, oh, I know this horse maybe it's a horse trainer, says, I know this horse. And what they mean is not that they've seen that horse before, but that they understand the horse's behavior. They know how to handle the horse. They know how the horse functions within circumstances. But then he says, to know a person is much more complicated even yet. Uh, some of you who have been parents of teenagers are 
are parents of teenagers, uh, have maybe thought, I wonder what's in their head. I wonder what they're thinking. They can be a mystery. And the reason why is human beings, you can only know them to the degree <coughs> that they'll let you know them. Because human beings can keep secrets. So that someone, someone can get to their, live a whole life, and at their funeral someone could say, you know, I've known them their whole life, but I feel like I've barely known them. But then the interesting thing Packer said is he said, but knowing someone who ranks above you is even harder yet. He gave the example of the Queen of England uh, at the time, now she's passed, or like the President of the United States. If you get a chance to meet them, uh, you might say, well, I met them, but can you say that you know them? To know them is really in the hands of whether that person who outranks you decides to let you in. Let's say the president where it was, uh, or the queen of England, I'm trying to think of how to illustrate this, or let's say the coach of your favorite football team. Any of those. You not only get to shake their hand, but you get to uh, go out to dinner with them. And what if at dinner, you're not merely talking about things that are like the weather or just where you're from, but what if the president started opening up and telling you personal things about himself, invited you into his life, and then started asking you with real care about your life? What if the president didn't just have dinner with you, but wanted to invite you into his life, maybe put you in his cabinet, so you could be on mission with the president of the United States, or with the king of England, or you're on staff on the, your favorite football team's coaching staff? What if you got to know someone of higher rank at that level? Well, that would be exciting. That would be exhilarating. Your life's purpose might feel like it takes on new found hope. But what about God? If a horse is more complex than a rock and a person than a horse and a highly ranked person than just an average person. What about the one who ranks above all things? God. He is the most complex being there ever is. To know God, then, would be the highest privilege, especially if God knew you intimately. And what if that high-ranking being, God Himself, has decided to choose you, to save you, to redeem you, and to adopt you into His family, and not only that, 
but to put you on mission with Him. Well, that would be the highest privilege. In John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Well, how great a privilege is it to know God? In John 17, 1, Jesus says, or we read, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his hands to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So Jesus has authority to give eternal life to anyone the Father has given the Son. The Father has prepared a bride for Christ. He has chosen a people. And Jesus has authority to give eternal life. And then this is what, how he describes that eternal life. Verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Everybody wants life. Eternal life means life everlasting, but it means more than that. It means the greatest life. The highest life. And Jesus Christ gives that to His people. He gives them the ability to understand who God is as He gives the Spirit to them. There is no greater privilege than to know God. There is no greater endeavor on this earth than to know God. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 9.23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And you can know that God delights in those things because He reveals it to us. Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, whatever gain I had. Now Paul was a learned man. Paul had great status in Judaism. He would have been one of the elites. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Are you ready for it? What would cause the Apostle Paul to say, I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Nothing is greater than knowing God. No greater privilege. 
Packer says, knowing God is more than knowing about Him. There's a lot of people that know about God. Probably everyone in this room knows about God. But not everyone in this room knows God. And Packer talks about the difference in here. First, he defines it this way. He says, uh, knowing about Him, uh, or knowing God is more than knowing about Him. It's a matter of dealing with Him as He opens up to you and being dealt with by Him as He takes knowledge of you. So it's different to know about the President of the United States, but it's different if you have to deal with the President of the United States. You can know a lot of things about God, but do you have to deal with Him? Do you have to deal with Christ the Lord? Here's how he illustrates this. Uh, in the second chapter on knowing God, he says, John Owen and John Calvin knew more theology than John Bunyan or Billy Bray. But who would deny that the latter pair knew their God every bit as well as the former? All four, of course, were beavers for the Bible, which counts for far more than any formal theological education theological training. If the decisive factor was notional correctness, then obviously the most learned Bible scholars would know God better than anyone else. But it is not. You can have all the right notions in your head without ever tasting in your heart the realities to which they refer. And a simple Bible reader in common hearer who is full of the Holy Spirit, will develop far deeper acquaintance with his God and Savior than a more learned scholar who is content with being theologically correct. And then he says this, the reason that the former will deal with God, uh, the reason is that the former will deal with God. The common churchgoer full of the Holy Spirit, reading their Bible, listening to sermons is actually dealing with God. That's what he's saying. Regarding the practical application of truth to his life, whereas the latter will not. So you say, what does this have to do with our text? Well, here's what it has to do with wives submit to husbands. Every Christian wife in here Every Christian wife not only needs to know God, she has to deal with God practically at an application level. And this is not some small thing. Can you imagine being in that dinner with the president or with the king and being invited into his cabinet and saying, what? You want me to join with you? How? You see, we look at an application 
of a text like this and we forget it's in the book that says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And He has called you in life application to deal with what Christ has called you to. He chose you out of this world. And so, it is a glorious honor to preach this text to wives because it's a glorious call. In fact, the very call itself is meant to illustrate the greatest news that's ever been on the face of the earth, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God thought up marriage, when He thought up how it would be, He said, this is how I am going to illustrate the gospel of Christ, the only hope of sinners. And so we see God's most beautiful and wise design for masculinity and femininity in the relationship between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. God did not stumble in His design. He is good. And He is wise. The culture may shudder. People may shudder and hate it. But God is good. And He has good things for both men and women in His designs. I want to, as we jump into this text, this is going to be two parts. If you look at your notes here, we're going to get down to number four, Lord willing. Uh, And we're going to do half the application in number eight, and then next week we'll do the rest, and then half the application next week. But as we come to this text, and the, and the charge of this message is this, wives, be filled with the Spirit, submit to your own husbands as you submit to Christ, all right? You want to throw up the outline, Brandon? All right. So, Vodi Bakum outlines this text in this way that is so helpful, and I just want to show it to you. Because I think it changes the way this text sits. So what Paul does is he has three contrasts up in verses 15 through 18. He says, look carefully on then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. So there's the first contrast. Don't walk as unwise, but wise. The second contrast is do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And the third contrast is don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You see that? Three contrasts. Now out of the third contrast, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, comes three commands. The telescopes out of be filled with the Spirit. All right? You tracking? 
Here's the three commands. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's the first one. Second, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Third, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, out of this third command comes three contexts. All right, he talked about submitting to one another. And the three contexts are this. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And slaves, to your masters. Three contexts in which we're called to submit to one another. And I'm going to show you in a couple weeks how wives loving your husbands is also in submission to Christ. Our husbands love your wives. Uh, and so what I want you to see is wives be filled with the spirit the reason why that's part of the charge of the sermon is because that's what it flows out of if you're not filled with the spirit if you don't have a worshipful heart and thankful heart these are all the things that build up to the text of submission. And so as we look at number one, we're going to see that the power is from the Spirit. Uh, it's just as easy as seeing, uh, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then comes the three commands. The last one being submission, and then wives specifically to you. You cannot do what God has called you to. You see, when, when Christ calls you into ministry, when He calls you into living for Him, glorifying Him, using your life for Him, you can't do it in your own power. You can only do it with the power of Christ. And I know you know that. Because if you've ever tried in your own flesh, you don't have what it takes. And then we see the attitude of submission in that of worship, singing songs to one another and having thankful hearts. So when a person, uh, when a wife is saying, well, what does it look like to submit? The first three things I would say is, it's being filled with the Spirit. When we talked about that text, what is being filled with the Spirit? But it's having the Spirit's words ever in front of you, and not just having them in front of you, but dealing with them by faith. And when His words are in front of you, worship comes out of your heart in a sense of thanksgiving and joy for the privilege of being saved by Christ. And so the attitude, submitting to husbands is a battle for the attitude of the heart more than anything else. It's a battle of faith. Because I promise you, your husbands will make it a battle. Although they ought not, you unfortunately married a fallen human being. 
And so you're going to need spiritual strength, a worshipful, thankful heart. You see, here's what you cannot do. You cannot take a command like this and go, ugh, I don't like this. And separate it from Christ your King. You can't do that. You have to see your salvation. You have to see the privilege of knowing Christ. To say, what a privilege that God has called me. What a high calling God has called me to. How, whatever you have for me, Lord, that I may do it for the honor of Christ. That brings us to point three in your notes. The purpose is for Christ. Here's the key. In verse 21 and 22, verse 21 it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the whole church is called to have this attitude of submitting towards one another out of reverence for Christ. Now literally in the Greek, as it goes to verse 22, your English Bible says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Here's how it reads in, in, in Greek. It literally reads, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to husbands. So the submission is grabbed from verse 21. This is the first context that is talked about. But this is very important. Because what it points out is the wife is not supposed to submit to her husband merely for her husband's sake, but ultimately for the sake of Christ. It is not about whether your husband is worthy to be submitted to or not. That's not the issue. It's out of reverence for Christ. So the motive, the purpose of this charge, this command, is to glorify Christ. And as he says, as to the Lord, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That doesn't mean you submit to your husbands exactly how you submit to Christ. What that means is in your submission to your husband, you're to do it as though you're submitting to Christ for his purpose. Of course Christ is supreme over your husband. Christ is supreme over all things. And so your submission to your husband is ultimately not for your husband's sake, but for the sake of revering and honoring Christ. So let's look at the command. The command is to submit to your husbands. Now, I just want to review just a little bit of last week. This is not in, uh, this submission is not because of a value difference between the wife and the husband. They're equal in value. Equal, if not often, our wives are more competent. 
than us. It's not about competency. It's not about whether uh, one is of more value, but it's a distinction in roles. It's like a dance. There's a leader and there's a follower. They're both valuable and the dance isn't beautiful without either of them. And the purpose of their marriage ultimately doesn't end up to be just about them, but ultimately is meant to display a picture of the gospel. We know it's not a difference in value because of 1 Peter 3, 7 says, likewise, wives, live with, our husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. This doesn't mean they're lesser. The point is, how do you carry around grandma's china compared to the plastic cup? Saying, why, husbands, you don't treat your wives roughly. You treat them like a weaker vessel with kindness and gentleness and live with them in an understanding way. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You see the equality there? And then he warns the husbands, lest your prayers be hindered. If a husband's living with his wife in a way that is not understanding, treating her roughly, it's as if God is saying, don't come pray to me. Don't come think you can have this relationship with me this way when you treat your wife like that. And so we see the Scripture constantly putting man and woman as equal in value. So what does it mean to submit? The word hypotassel is a military term to rank oneself under another. It's an interesting word. It's a voluntary ranking of oneself under another. Wives, do you realize that? God has called you to voluntarily submit yourselves to your husbands. And one of the things uh, Scott pointed out to me as we were talking about this is, uh, is when God gave, instituted different things like the government, what did he give the government to bring the people under submission? He gave the government the sword. And the sword was the means to bring about the submission. The church was given the word. The word stands as supreme over the church, right? And, and the church needs to be in submission to Christ. And he's given the rod to parents as they're called to discipline their children. But notably... God has given nothing to the husband to keep them in submission to them. It's a voluntary putting oneself under the leadership of the husband. So if a husband has a wife that is unsubmissive, God has not given him anything to bring that submission about. 
There's no disciplining wives. There's no rod given to the husband. So this high calling is to the wife to voluntarily rank herself under her husband's leadership. Young men who one day hope to be married, let me talk to you for a minute. In light of this, it's very important to marry a woman who has great reverence for Christ. You need to marry a woman who sees Christ and deals with Christ in a way that loves Him and will follow Him. Because if you don't, God has given you no means to bring about in your family what God would want for your family, which is a submissive wife. And so the main thing you're looking for, young men, is not just a girl that knows about God. You need to find a girl who knows God and will deal with God and will tremble before God. In fact, there's a couple Proverbs to help warn you. Proverbs 13, 19, 13 says, A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping. Or Proverbs 27, 15, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. You cannot make your wife not quarrelsome. But young men, you can seek to find a wife whose heart is given to Christ. You're not going to find a perfect one. And you're not going to be a perfect husband. But this is wisdom that, that we get from the Scripture. And here's what I would say to young women. This is also why it's important that you should marry a man who can lead you. Because it's much harder to submit to a man that doesn't tremble before Christ in the position that God has given him than it is to submit to a man trembling before Christ is trying to love you like Christ loves the church. And so, it's important that in choosing of a spouse, that you don't follow your emotions and that you look at what God has called families to. And I want you to think about this for a minute. What is at stake in what we're talking about? Ultimately, what is at stake is families that are going to have children. Families are going to have children, and those children are going to look to their parents, and those children are either going to see parents who, when they sin, repent of their sin, confess their sin in front of their children, apologize to their children and trust Christ, or not. If a husband and wife 
is not humble before Christ. And they start thinking their marriage is ultimately about them and their dreams that they always had then that fight will go on forever in the home and those children, even as the parents try to teach them Christ and the Gospel, are going to have a stumbling block in front of them. There is much at stake in taking serious the position God has called both husbands and wives to. And thank God that we're called to this in the grace of Christ. None of us are perfect. We often fail. This is going to be hard. The reason why it's going to be hard is because our flesh works against the Spirit. The world works against the Spirit. The devil works against the Spirit. And so the only way this can happen in a family is with husbands and wives full of the Spirit of Christ. And to whatever degree the husband or wife does it in their own flesh, to that degree they'll fail. And when we fail, we're, we're not banished to hell. God isn't up there with a rod ready to strike us down. All this effort we get to do in the grace of Jesus Christ that is already been worked for us in Christ. That's how we can endure. But what it means to submit is to voluntarily put oneself underneath a husband's leadership or headship, which we'll talk about uh, more next week. So in what context and to whom? Ultimately, the submission is to Christ. I can't even say the husband. It's to, the, it's to their husbands as to the Lord. Yes, it is submission to your husband's leadership, but ultimately it's to the Lord. If you, if you ever get that out of your mind, you won't do it. Because He's not worthy. But Christ is worthy. He is worthy. There will be nothing done in vain. God is glorified with a wife, especially with a difficult husband, who continually seeks to live this out. That pleases Christ. But it's ultimately to the Lord. And in light of this, Vodi Baca makes a, a, a sobering assessment. He says, if you want to know if someone is actually submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ, ask yourselves, are they submitting to the proper authority God has placed in their lives? In other words, he says, show me a woman who is not submissive to her husband, and I'll probably show you someone who is not walking with God. Might be someone who knows all about God. It might be a, a, a woman who stands for all the right things, knows the right answer on the test, but the sign 
of being filled with the Spirit of God is a heart that's worshipful and thankful in fighting the fight of faith and striving to be submissive to their husbands. And this is what all Christians are called to, by the way, and it's what Christ did. In Philippians 2, listen to this. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of cord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not look only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. See, the only way you can have that mind is to have the Spirit of Christ living in you. And it's yours in Christ. What did Christ do? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was equal with God. He is equal with God. He never lost his equality with God. But he just didn't hang on to it. He took the form of a servant. He emptied himself, taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of human, of, of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the mind that a wife needs and a husband's going to need to love his wife is yours in Christ. And he did it all the way to the death. The people, the bride he was dying for, was not becoming more lovely. She wasn't worth it. She didn't deserve it. And yet that's Christ, the highest ranking one, ranked himself to the point of taking on human flesh and becoming obedient to die on the cross. Submission, a wife's submission to her husband does not mean she's not an equal partner with him. She's a perfectly equal partner with him. God has called the husband and wife to have dominion over what he has given them and to be fruitful and multiply. How is the husband going to do that without his wife? You have the same mission. Your husband doesn't have some exciting mission and you have some other mission. You have the same mission. You have different roles in a dance. And it's all to be to the glory of Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul, the scandal of Paul's day would not have been that Paul was a sexist who devalued women, but that he viewed both men and women with equal value. In our day, the culture is going to look at this text and say, God is evil. God is unwise. His plans are not good. But in Paul's day, he lifted the value of women up to equality. He said things like this in 1 Corinthians 3.7. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. That's intimacy. And likewise, the wife to her husband. You see how it's equal. It's, it's both. 
Next week, I am going to qualify because we're going to get to the extent of the submission. The extent, wives are not called to ever sin, be led into sin. If a husband asks a wife to sin, participate in sin, her submission is to Christ. She cannot do that. A wife does not need to stay in an abusive situation. We're going to talk about that. We're going to qualify that. But what you can't qualify when he says in everything is your position is your position in God's sovereign plan in your family. And so in closing, I just want to think through a few practical aspects. Admittingly, here's where I'm talking to Laura, I'm trying to listen to other things. What might it look like if a wife's heart is loving Christ, knowing God, has a worshipful, thankful heart? What would it look like in practice? It would look like she was respectful to her husband. That's what the end of this text is going to say. That husbands are to love their wives and see to it that wives respect their husbands. It means not slandering your husbands uh, to others. Unless, of course, it's abuse and you need to tell somebody to get out of this situation. You need to go to the elders of the church or go to Christian friends. But wives ought not have an eye roll towards their husbands. That would be a heart that isn't thankful towards God. It's beginning to doubt His goodness. This submissiveness would have a nurturing aspect to it. To care for and encourage the growth or development of your husband. That's what nurturing means. To care for and encourage growth and development. This is what God has called wives to do. To help their husbands lead well. To help your husbands lead your family. To be supportive. To make him better. Not to make him worse. Respectful, nurturing, supportive. And here's, the, here's I think, a key one. Patiently enduring. Alright? Now listen to me. What Christ has called your husband to ought to be ever before him because he ought to always know what his responsibility is to lead your family because you refuse to take it from him. Alright, this is the hard one. Let's say you have a husband that's not close to the Lord. He's not doing well in his leadership. The temptation is to say, my circumstance is too difficult. I'm checking out of this system and I'm doing it myself. I'm going to run by him. I'm going to leave him in the dust. Our children are at stake right now. 
And so I'm taking the reins. I'm leading. He won't do it. I'm going to blow by him. That's exactly what we're told in Genesis 3 is going to be the temptation of the wife in her flesh. Is to just blow by her husband. It will be much slower, probably, to be supportive and nurturing and helping him lead. But don't do it. Don't blow by him. Let him always know his responsibility before the Lord because you refuse to just take it from him. Because when you take it from him, and I know this can go both ways, when you take it from him, and there's that decisive, I'm done, there is a stumbling block before him and what Christ has called him to do that might seem so big, he doesn't see his way past it. And besides that, don't give up on the very thing that Christ who has given you a great privilege, has called you to. If you're just done, and you're just going to blow by, and you're just going to take control, and rather than support your husband, slander him, you not only shut him down, but you cut yourself off from the very purpose that God has called you to in your family. So my prayer is, even marriages that have had been like this for years. Husbands and wives are still called to deal with Christ. Deal with Christ on a practical level. Know Him that way. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. And seek to fulfill what God has called you to. Because you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These are a great privilege for both the husband and the wife. And the gospel's at stake. The clarity of the gospel coming from our lives is what is at stake. Father, I pray that you would work in our lives and in our hearts.